1: what is up everybody i am not tommy ashley i'm also not john bauman i'm joey powell here filling in i mean they've gotten to the third string quarterback to host this episode of on the beat we're glad you're with us we're brought to you by johnny t-shirt and congruity Everybody who's here, if you have not yet, as my man Sean Crowley is always quick to say, and I'm grateful for it, make sure you smash that like button. Uh, Subscribe if you have not. Make sure you get all of this Inside Carolina goodness directly to your feeds. And y'all, I'm not the one you're here to hear. First off, you didn't know I was going to be here. And if you're showing up expecting Tommy or John, God bless you. I'm sorry. This this is what you got to work with. But we've got the usual... Uh, three kings of on the beat, Jeremiah Holloway, Adam Smith, and Evan Rogers. Uh, Fellas, I am so glad that you're here. There's a lot to talk about. Um, First things first, before we get rolling, on a scale of one to ten, how hard is the sky falling right now? Jeremiah.
3: How hard is the sky falling, man? I don't know. Well, honestly, uh, I might say (laughs) it. Yeah, for real. Uh, I'm going to say it, too, just because, you know, like we're – that we have at uh, inside Carolina. You know, all these teams talk about we have depth, we have depth, but you don't know, and so your main guys go down, and so you know, as you can see, we got a, uh, we got another podcast. So I think we're doing all right. You know, we're a little tired. We've been sitting on planes for five days, me and Adam, but uh, you know, I think uh, all things considered, I think we're okay.
1: Well, I, I, I know that you talking about depth, there's going to be immediately somebody that shows up and says, well, at least Ben Sherman's using his depth. Uh, Evan Rogers, <laughs> give me a, a one to 10. How, how much is the sky falling right now with, you know, one being meh, 10 being clouds hitting you in the head? You talking for
0: me personally?
1: Or like UNC basketball, just UNC basketball. No, nobody cares about you personally, Evan. We're um, talking about the actual, talking about the season here. I was pal. gonna say, I was gonna
0: say, I've got two midterms up next week, so I'd consider myself a, a solid six right now. UNC basketball, <laughs> I would say. I mean, it's. I'd say it's a four right now, three or four. I don't. I think there is a little bit of cause for concern about these couple of losses, but it's nothing that. I mean, they're not going to miss the tournament or anything like that. So I yeah. say a three.
1: We'll we'll get into the elaboration here in a second. Adam, same question to you, man. Scale of one to ten, uh, with ten being you've got bird droppings right up close to that that crop of yours.
4: <laughs> yeah, it's not much coverage up there either for the bird droppings. Um I'm gonna go about a five or a six. I mean, I don't know if I'm hot taking the hell out of this, but um I don't know. Like I yeah, I I think I think we all need to calm down a little bit with that said, but I think there are some things, you know, some cracks in the armor from the team that looked like a number one seed. Certainly they could still be a number one seed. Certainly they can still win the ACC. They're still in first place. You know, Jeremiah and I were there the other night in the dome, and it's loud as heck. Uh, and I'm sitting there trying to hack away at the keyboard. I'm like, oh, my gosh, they're not going to be in first place in the ACC anymore. Little did I know Pitt was beating Virginia at Virginia. Um because I was kind of locked into what was going there, but I was like, "Ah, well, they're not first place anymore." Well, UNC's still in first place, but um, I do think there—I I think there's cause for concern now. I think what you got four out of the next five games at home. I think they're—I think they need, as the show was titled, I think they need some home cooking. And after UNC plays Virginia Tech on Saturday, they had—they catch the midweek bye finally. They, they have a week off. You would think that would be good for this team because I, I feel like, and we've talked about it, I feel like they've looked a little tired at the end of these games. You can take the sort of the crunch time numbers. You know how you can spin numbers any way you want them, Joey. Um, I don't know if you guys do that with views or impressions or whatever, the Coast to Coast crew. But, um, you know, some of the numbers aren't great for the way they finish these games. Even the Miami win was as, you know, wobbly as heck. So um, I think these some of these guys need a rest, you know, on some of these guys. And, um, you know, I, I certainly think they can get hot and, and, and hold on and win the league, but I'll say five or six.
1: I love the fact that you rated the highest number, and then told everybody they needed to chill out. That's, that's because you <laughs> have, when you're on the microphone, you can say whatever you want to. Um, yeah, I think it's, it's obvious that, you know, this last three out of five game, uh, loss stretches has shaken some folks and, and it is who knows if it's shaking the team. So let's go on right into it. Uh. Give me your quote from this past week, and, and tell me what's what's jumped out at you from talking to the guys, whether it be uh, media availability or or talking to them, you know, post game. I'll let you stay here.
4: Well, I I'm gonna do this. I'm gonna I'm gonna throw a skip past Jeremiah because I fear I have got the same quote as Jeremiah. Um, and that's you know,
1: knowing your teammates. I love that. That's knowing where your teammates might be, and I appreciate it. that's a veteran move, brother. Thank you.
4: Thank you, Joey. That's very kind of you to say. First of all, and look, hey, I would never not want to be all about the team, Jeremiah. You know that. <laughs> um, so I think this because I was thinking about it, and I know when we heard it, both of our proverbial ears went up, like, "Oh, that's interesting." Um, so I'm gonna let I'm gonna let Jeremiah go, and if if it's duplicate, I don't have a backup. I'll just expound on it. So go for it, Jeremiah. <laughs>
3: Honestly, I'd be slightly surprised if Adam has my quote only because I honestly don't know where Adam's going. I really don't. Uh, I kind of found mine. Uh, I'm not going to say last minute, but um, this is one I just kind of thought. This is one that I thought was interesting, uh, just all things considered. So I'm actually going to go to, a, I guess, a quote-unquote more, I guess, positive moment that UNC had with their win against Miami. Um, this was a game that, uh, R.J. Davis, who obviously is leading the ACC in scoring, um, having the season that he's having, potentially an all-American-type season, uh, he actually had to buckle down on the defensive side of the ball. So he was guarding Nigel Pack, uh, Miami's second-leading scorer, and my, he was actually torsing him on uh, on Saturday in the first half. Uh, so he kind of had to, uh, to buckle down a little bit. So our, the quote that I have R.J. Davis down for, the first part of it is, I felt like Leaky a little bit. And I thought that was funny because obviously Leaky Black is a long time perimeter defender, you know, for North Carolina. And you don't necessarily think of RJ Davis on that caliber um, of defense. But um, to continue the quote, he later says, um, I think it's all heart. It's about if you want it or not. And I want it. I take the challenge and pride of being the best uh, defensive player that I know I can be. It's hard to score. 25 points and chase the best player around, but a lot of great players that have come through here um and even at the next level do it. So I feel like why can't I? And end quote. So the reason I picked that one is because, you know, if you are, you know, striving to be all American caliber player, having all American caliber season, uh, for a lot of guys that is on both ends of the ball, um, I'm not the biggest advanced stats guy, but I will say for the sake of argument, RJ's defensive rating is like very slightly the lowest he's had it but I think part of that I think part of your defensive rating it might be like I think part of it is like the the team defense so like when you do lose a player to the caliber of Leaky Black your overall like on court team defense kind of you know is going to take a little bit of a dip Uh, but this is a team and you have to remember also Seth Trimble was out in this game so this was a game where you're having to make up for obviously what you lost last year defensively but then also Seth Trimble, who has been your best defender this year, you're missing out on him. He's somebody that could have slowed down Pack early on uh, in that game. So um, I thought one of the, you know, underrated stories, and I know Adam, you know, did too, because we were kind of talking about this after the game. But I think probably an underrated story of that game was, um, you know, R.J. Davis and, and what he was doing in the second half defensively. Funny enough, R.J. actually did say, I didn't even put this in here. He actually did say he thought his own defense this year was like an underrated part of his game that he had developed. Um, and so that was the the quote that I decided to go with.
1: Love that. I think folks will also look at R.J. Davis's uh, advanced metrics and realize that I don't know that he's ever been the guy that North Carolina has put on another team's, um, you know, best ball handler. And I think that might affect right. those numbers a little bit too. Uh, right. I love that. Evan, what do you got? Same, same question. Hit, hit me with your quote or anecdote from this past week.
0: Yeah, kind of sticking on the – Along the lines of defense, uh, I thought this was an interesting quote from Cormac after the Syracuse game. Um, so obviously Syracuse shot over 60%. I think it was around 63 maybe just a tick under. But Cormac went on and, and talked about just the overall you know, defensive, I guess, mindset that maybe has shifted a little bit within this team. Um, and he said, I think we need to step up our pride on defense, our want to. A lot of that is things that we can control. Guys are going to make tough shots, but it's not going to – and it's going to happen especially on the road. You live with those, but you can't live with 63% of those. They made some tough shots, but they weren't all tough shots. Um, And I just think that's an an important, I guess, mindset to have just about that Syracuse game because, yeah, you can point to a couple of those, you know, J.J. Starling banking in a deep three or hitting the three off a curl. I mean, there were some tough shots that those guys hit. but you're not going to get to 63% by shooting just tough shots. And in their recent losses, a common thread that you can see is in five of six, five of, of UNC six losses this year, an opponent has scored 80 or more points. The only loss was was Georgia Tech. That was the lone exception. And UNC has only won two games where they've allowed an opponent to score over 80 points. That was Duke at home and Tennessee at home. Um, so I think, you know, the writing right there is kind of on the wall with the formula that this team has to live by in order to win games. You know, this is not your Kentucky's of the world in terms of offense that can just rack up 100 points on any given night. They're capable of it, but that's not something that I think you want to live off of. Um, and you kind of saw that when they had that 10 game win streak. Those those 10 wins were were by their defense. I mean, they were winning games in the 60s and the 50s and the low 70s. So. I think that's kind of what you've seen these last five games in that they've kind of gone away from their collective defensive intensity or fundamentals. And I don't know if that's a combination of, you know, t- better team scouting or shot luck, or even like Adam had said, there's maybe a little bit of a fatigue factor. I mean, if you look at this schedule, they, it seems like they've been on the road a ton. I mean, I don't know the number off the top of my head, but I know a couple weeks back, it's like they'd only played like four home games and, 50 days or something ridiculous um so this is just a team that i think needs not only a a reset at home but just a reset in general and that's going to come after saturday and i think that's where they can kind of get back to what was working with uh, working for them a month ago and that was kind of taking your pride on the defensive end and building off of that on your offensive side
1: yeah i think you've hit on a couple of really important points there uh the sense that uh, I do think teams have, have film on Carolina now. Uh, uh, they've gone through the first half of the season. Uh, you know how it always works. A second time, playing somebody is always the toughest. And then you think about trying to beat somebody for the second time, which they're looking at, excuse me, the example of Clemson. Uh, you know, it, it's hard to beat anybody, especially if they are a good team. And I still think Clemson's a, a bit of a matchup problem for North Carolina. But anytime you see a team for the second time, it is going to be tough I think you laid out a couple of great points there Evan and also you know add to Adam's point and one that you just uh, refreshed when you've got fatigue uh, I think Seth Trimble's injury came at the worst time because North Carolina was on you know on the back end of a lot of quick turnarounds uh, on the back end of a lot of travel and also he was he was one of the players he was one of the players in a position that it makes it incredibly difficult for North Carolina to be able to run more bodies out there because they don't have a lot of uh, Hubert Davis's trusted guys that they can put out here. I, I think you, you touched on a lot of really good points there, man. Um, Adam, did Jeremiah steal your quote or you still have one, one left in the chamber?
4: He absolutely did. I knew it was going to happen. Um, how much are we allowed to pat ourselves on the back, Joey, since you're running the point here? Is there, can we pat ourselves on the back hey, you know, ta will sub- let us do whatever it's you, like know Su- around, you know the drill substitute
1: teach substitute teacher man anything goes so it is as, as long as you don't rip your shoulder out of socket you have right. at it brother
4: <laughs> jeremy sharp of unC football will do that if I say something that you know i like bragging a little bit which i need um but um the the leaky thing when 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 Rj said I felt like leaky a little bit you know you know me I mean, I was like all about, it. I was, the patting on the back was, there was my question. Because uh, we were sitting there watching the game and, you know, you're almost, you've almost become uh, predisposed to expect RJ Davis to score 20 points, which he did. He scored 25 points in that game. What was his line, Evan? I think he had like seven rebounds and five assists too. Um, something like that. But we're sitting there watching it. Pack had gone for 18 in the first half and hit four threes. Carolina couldn't guard him. And O'Meara was, you know, a damn raging bull at the rim, too, as we all know. Um, but as we're watching that second half, I was thinking, man, I mean, think about this. The, my whole general thought was how much energy it takes to score 25 points in a college basketball game, a high school game, whatever. It takes a lot of energy to score 25 points. Well, he's on the other end chasing Pack. You know, Pack's like slaloming through those screens and stuff like he's on skis. I mean – you know, I, I think I think it's interesting to talk about R.J. Davis's defensive metrics. He's not U.N.C.'s best perimeter defender by a long shot. Those guys are Seth Trimble and Cormac Ryan. R.J. Davis, in many ways, is a defensive liability because he's so small. But what he did yeah. in Miami was he just poured it out. Like he, with Jim Hawkins, the legendary Jim Hawkins, our photographer, has a great shot of just. RJ's hair flying as he's trying to keep up with pack in the second half. I think pack only made one shot. I think he scored two points in the second half. Um, So that's where I was. That's where I was going. And I thought it was interesting that RJ, you asked him about his defense, which we don't ask him about a lot. And he goes, as Jeremiah said, you know, I think that's an underrated part of my game. And I had, I had posed the energy question to him and he said, you know, I think it was hard. You know, he was, you know, he was sort of telling us what we saw. You know, it was, he wasn't slapping the floor, and uh, locking down somebody like Leakey, like they relied on Leakey to do, but he just, he just poured it all out there. And to what Evan just said to piggyback off of that about Cormac and, and saying, you know, we sort of had to have more want to, this was after Cormac Ryan played 40 minutes at, at Syracuse. He didn't come out, um, you know, and he's saying we we need more want to. And he, I mean, he played, he played every second, Um So anyway, those those were my ideas. I do have some anecdotes, Joey. I don't want to hog it. But when we get to the anecdotes, I do have some anecdotes uh, about uh, the scene at Miami. And it's got to do with Cormac. It's got to do with uh, a shooter that you and I, guys of our age, Joey, uh, idolized. And it also has to do with a a former UNC great um, who's known in South Florida. So that, well, I don't know if that's um, a in the business or what. No, no,
1: that's, it, I'm going to let you go ahead and, and take this rather than uh, rather than making the folks wait around. I know that, you know, there's still some scar tissue when you start talking about South Florida and North Carolina and people start thinking about, you know, getting the the tenant rate and Marvin Austin and bad tweets. But oh, my word. I'm, hope, I'm hoping this is not where you're going. So please, Mr. Smith, take it away with your anecdote.
4: That is a deep cut. Uh, much respect. Um uh, the, the young buck's going to have to Google that. They don't mean, you know, like, I don't know if Evan was born yet. Um, Well, I mean, you know what a nerd I am. So we're going out to the court at Miami a, at the Wattsco Center in Coral Gables. And we're walking out there before the start of the game. And I'm like, oh, my God, there's a tall man in front of me. And he's moving slow, but he's he's got he's moving pretty cool. And I'm like, geez, that's Glenn Rice. So walked out to the court behind Glenn Rice. Uh, The former Charlotte Hornet, the former Miami Heat sharpshooter, University of Michigan. That
1: that dude was a bucket, by the way. Please continue.
4: But, you you know, it's like you don't expect – I wasn't expecting to see Glenn Rice on Saturday afternoon. You know what I mean? Like uh, he was eating popcorn. You know, he was just as cool as he could be. And uh, interestingly enough, he's going up to where we're sitting, to where the rest of the nerds are sitting in the media seating, and he plops down right beside Bob freaking McAdoo. So wow you had,
1: yeah is and, he still an executive uh, for the heat i know bob was an executive for the heat for a while is he still down there
4: i think he has retired he's in his okay. 70s now um wow. yeah and he was with the Miami Heat for a long time you know he's one of pat riley's like right hand men you know for a long time he used to have the glasses sitting up on his forehead when he was on the bench with with pat riley um but it was just super cool you know just like first of all if i'm fangirling about glenn rice i'm just like oh my god glenn rice you know i, I could think about one of my best friends in college. Every time he played him, I think it was the NBA Live. Uh, he would go, "It's not rain, it's grain rice." You know, every time he would like hit a three or something. Uh, and then you see Bob McAdoo. I mean, these guys—they couldn't have been any cooler. And they watched the game together. I assume both were doing some sort of scouting. I would think. Um, but that was cool. And the last little sort of behind the scenes look behind the curtain was when we were talking to RJ. When we were talking to Armando. When we were talking to Elliot. After the game in South Florida, Cormac Ryan was face down on, I don't know what you would call it, uh, like a massage table type. It was a padded table uh, that you sit, like you would go to the doctor's office and sit on to get checked out. He's not sitting there like swinging his legs like you do when you're a kid. He's face down right outside of the locker room, and he's just getting worked on by Doug Halverson, UNC's head athletic trainer. Jonas Serration, their strength and conditioning coach. So we're like doing these interviews, and the guys are coming out to talk to us narrow hallway, and they're going by Cormac, who is just like making noises in pain. Um, so I mean, I think that's sort of a peek into, you know, he's had the ankle injury that that occurred in the Bahamas, and it has recurred, has been recurring, um, and he's 25 years old. God bless him. you know, I, I think it was sort of a peek into what he is uh, going through to play these minutes. I mean, he was he was they were working on him hard and he was grunting. And, you know, some of it looked quite painful, especially as someone who is not limber like myself. But it was a, you know, it was an interesting little thing. I personally would love to ask Cormac about it. Uh, Cormac's not the greatest interview Um I think if uh, I think if you asked Armando or RJ or Harrison Ingram, they would just tell you everything, like tell you everything. Cormac's a little, you know. Sometimes he he's just would rather just leave and go see his parents, which I can understand. But um,
1: those were sort of. Well, I mean, the... he's. Go ahead. Yeah, you know, he's he's getting up there where it's it's time to start dealing with back injuries because my man's been playing forever. And and listen, it as you guys all kind of alluded to a little bit in your first quotes this is the time of year where just about everybody's got some sort of little niggle, right? Like they've got something that's, that's causing issues. They got something that's kind of creeping up on them, maybe Maybe popping back up, like you said, with, with Ryan's ankle. Um, it's, it's kind of just that time of year. And, and as you said earlier, that week off that they're going to get after the Virginia tech game really could not be at a better time. Uh, either one of you, other two guys got a, got an anecdote for us that you want to throw out there.
3: Yeah, I suppose I can uh, go ahead and go second. I'm glad Adam went the uh, the McAdoo route. Yeah, that was cool because, um, you know, I actually grew up watching a lot of Miami Heat. I grew up a Miami Heat fan or whatever. So, like, I, if I remember correctly, on Saturday, Glenn Rice had, like, a – not Glenn Rice. McAdoo, I think he had either a Miami Heat, like, hat or a shirt on. I remember him wearing some sort of Miami Heat gear. Um, and I also remember him being at the uh, – Fort Lauderdale, uh, airport where we got off. So we actually saw him the day before and Ryan McAdoo also former UNC forward, uh, was also in the building. Um, so good stuff. Actually Glenn Rice is funny and I'm going just real quick before I get to mine, uh, me and our intern Jalen Harrell, we were at an arcade for the IC like get together. So I actually played with the Hornets and Glenn Rice against, uh, Jalen, uh, you know, in the, uh, uh, on the NBA Jam, NBA Jam, Jam. The NBA NBA Jam man, uh, yep. yeah. So not gonna, uh, you know, expose who may or may not have won or may or may not have lost that game. But uh, you know, I did, I did pretty well. Uh, but yeah, my my uh, my anecdote from the week is actually going to be on the uh, the other side, I guess, of the East Coast. Uh, we were covering obviously that Syracuse game, uh, in which UNC ended up uh, on the the short side of so. Me, Adam Smith, and Jim Hawkins, per our custom, were like among the last to leave the uh the press uh the press room um and so before we go outside, we actually go back to the uh the carrier dome quote unquote court. You couldn't really call it a court at that point because they had taken the court part off as if it was never there um and we go and it's all this grass. You know, it's all this grass and they're actually working on the the field because I guess lacrosse was going to play either the next day or the day after that or something. Uh, And it was kind of a funny scene because the two basketball goals were actually still on the field. So they hadn't actually gotten rid of the goals yet. So it's just two basketball goals randomly on this football field. uh, And you see like the entire field, things like that. Um, So we go back and then we can even see. The press room that we were in, I guess was like either the visitors' uh locker room or the home locker room, so we actually walked you know back around there and like as we're going outside, we could see you know a different setup for like you know the the lacrosse post game press conference and stuff, so it was a much smaller setup uh and then finally, when we get outside uh it was snowing it was snowing outside and it snowed all over us It wasn't like heavy snow, but it was obviously freezing cold and it was like consistently just, just going at you. It was very windy. So it just, it probably felt like more than it actually was uh, the roads were, you know, the were the roads weren't terrible, but you could see it. I mean, it's just a ton of snow, like on the grass, like in the parking lot. Like when we got to the parking lot, I was like, man, we're going to have to be like kind of careful, uh, you know, getting out of here. Fortunately, our rental car was, pretty big so that was uh you know that was a positive but uh I mean like the stuff that I'm wearing like it's just snow all over it and keep in mind like I don't remember what it did last year like in North Carolina but my first year or my year last year I was in South Carolina the whole time like it never snows in South Carolina so I really hadn't seen snow in about like two years so I you know I got out there and I was like oh like this is a thing. Like this is on Earth. Uh, you know, this is this happens sometimes. So uh, yeah, we did end up getting some New York snow um, the morning after as well. It actually snowed again a little bit before he we went to the airport. Uh, so yeah, um, just a, a very interesting um, you know experience for us packing for you know Miami and Syracuse at the same time because we went straight from Miami to Syracuse in the same span of a few days uh You know, so just a very interesting, uh you know, experience. You know, Adam had kind of talked earlier in the year, just like on some of these trips about he had. I can't remember where he went. It was like Pittsburgh to somewhere, right, where you had to like pack for two different climates. It was something like that. What, what was San the- Diego
4: to Pittsburgh? San right? Diego, yeah, yeah. yeah. Holiday, Holiday Bowl. Bowl to the the basketball game last. Holiday year. Bowl, yeah. So yeah. I had
3: a, a a slight taste of that as well. So you know, just thought it was a. Uh, Funny dynamic going from uh, obviously all the way down here to all the way up there.
1: <laughs> I'm going to go ahead Joey, and throw it out there it's that a
4: Syracuse moment for Jeremiah. You know, <laughs> yeah, I was, was going to figure he
1: he probably did not wear his uh, his guayabera when he was in uh when he was in Syracuse. All right, Evan, do you have an anecdote for us? Yeah, I've got a quick one. Uh, so I was
0: not on the road with the the two fine gentlemen that have spoke, but I did have the pleasure this weekend to take a weekend long class at the business school, which was nine to five from Friday to Sunday. Um, And on Saturday, that obviously interfered with the start of the basketball game Uh, at four o'clock. We were still in class till five. And I was in the front row, uh, not by choice. I may or may have not showed up uh, a little bit late to the first day of this class. So I kind of got pushed up into the front row. Uh, for the whole weekend. And right around 4 o'clock, uh, professor kind of hints that she is aware that there is a game going on at the same time of class, and says that if we can multitask, that she does not care if the game is on or off off uh, you know, our phone or laptop. Um, and by this point, I had pretty much uh, been watching basketball all day uh, once noon came around, just to kind of help the time go by. But once the UNC game started, I thought something that was kind of funny was I could hear voices behind me being like, "Was that Elliot Cadeau? Oh, I think that's Harrison Ingram who just made that. Was that R.J. Davis? And I turn around and there are like five kids who have all squeezed in next to each other and are just looking at my laptop screen that has the game on
1: um which i thought was you're an an enabler evan you've (laughs) become you've become the class enabler folks actually who paid for a great weekend of business learning uh suffered greatly because of your delinquency and your willingness to share your technology with them Uh, uh,
4: business that weekend i mean that was absolutely it was was
0: a great class uh ended with a good grade uh final grades came out earlier today uh it all went well but um and also, she let us out early. Uh, she let us out right at around the under 12 timeout, right when the commercials were hitting. I didn't know if that was intentional on her part or not, but that worked out well so I could drive home and not miss any of the game. But um, it. it kind of, I kind of felt like the, uh, you know, when the teacher rolls in the, the TV for the ACC tournament, that's kind of oh, my yeah. moment being the TV with my laptop. Um, so just kind of my little side don't, moment. Don't.
1: Don't patronize Adam and I here. You never were in a class where they rolled a TV in. Adam and I were in a class where they rolled a t- <laughs> you were you have never well, seen the- a TV on a cart, sir. Do not do not pee on my leg and tell me it's raining. Okay.
0: Well yeah, yeah, the TV was already in the room. That's a good point. When I was in elementary school, the TV was already up there.
1: <laughs> Don't you dare, dare try to editorialize and rewrite the 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 memories of, of the childhood that Adam Smith and I had. Um, boys, let let's let's take a little bit of a turn here. Um this is a, a topic that I think a lot of folks will definitely be looking towards. I've already seen it mentioned uh in the chat a little bit tonight, but one of the things that I think is gonna be keenly in the eyes of some viewers and North Carolina fans is that one Tyler Nickel will be coming down from Blacksburg to play in the Smith Center this weekend when UNC hosts Virginia Tech. And I, I think the hypothetical that, uh, that the teacher left in, in our lesson plans for me to go over with y'all today is, uh, is just considering what if UNC hadn't turned the roster over. And so we can kind of popcorn this around a little bit um, and we can debate you know the, the goods and bads and the indifference. But before we start, I'll give you some context. Just looking at the stats of, of the major guys that left, I don't think you, consider, you can consider Justin McCoy or Puff Johnson, though Justin McCoy is playing really well. On the Big Island in Hawaii, um, you got to tip your cap to him for making the most shrewd transfer in the history of all transfers. But let's look at Dontre Styles transferred to Georgetown. Uh, he's he's averaging a fair amount of play. Uh, he's starting for them most games. He's averaging thirteen point five points, a uh, little under six rebounds, and about one assist per game. He's shooting forty two percent from the floor. The aforementioned Tyler Nickel is at Virginia Tech. Uh, I don't know that he's starting, but he's playing. Yeah, you know, he's played just about every game for them. He's averaging 24 minutes. Um, he is averaging nine points a game, two rebounds, and a little over one assist. He's shooting 45% from the field. Uh, Demarco Dunn, uh, who was probably would probably have been helpful this past week for North Carolina, just re- with regard to some perimeter depth while Seth Trimble was injured. Uh, he has played in all to, or he's played in 25 games for Penn State, averaging 18 minutes a game. That's about eight minutes more than he was averaging last year in Chapel Hill. Uh, Seven points, two rebounds, and a a little over half of an assist. Uh, Shooting 40% from the field. And then Caleb Love, I think, is the big fish. And he's the mercurial one that everybody, at least for the first 12 games of the season, every single announcer wanted to mention Caleb Love. Um, So we'd be remiss if we didn't talk about him. But uh, he's 56 in the country right now, averaging 18.9 points a game at Arizona. Uh, He's playing every game. He's averaging less minutes, so his usage has gone down a little bit. Uh, five rebounds, 3.3 assists, and he's shooting 43% from the field, which is almost a full six points above what he was shooting in North Carolina last year. So you wonder if if his usage rate maybe hasn't, uh, hasn't helped uh, the fact that he's not being used as much and relied on as much um, to carry the load in Arizona. So, boys, what I'll do is I'll tee up to the three of you. Knowing what we've seen about uh, these players that left for various reasons, uh, went to different pastures. I won't say greener pastures, but different pastures. Uh, how do you think things would have looked had some of these players stayed? And, and let's, you know, let's start right now with Tyler Nichols, since he's the one everybody's thinking about this week. I think the the typical North Carolina fan is 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 um, scar tissued up as they are is probably assuming he's going to come in and go uh, go full Harold uh, Arsenault and, and light North Carolina up for thirty five points. I don't know if that that's going to happen, but he is a shooter and shooter shoot. Uh, Jeremiah, how do you feel like any of those guys, and you can start with nickel if you'd like, how do you feel like any of those guys would have fit uh, had they stuck around? Or is this one of those things where you can't really consider one of them without considering all of
3: them? I think it's the latter. I think uh, if the guys that left would have stayed, they probably would have the same role that they had had they stayed. Because you look at Dontre Styles and DeMarco Dunn, those guys were there. For two years. And for two years, they didn't get a lot of playing time off the bench. Buff Johnson was there for three years. And for three years, he didn't get a lot of time off the bench. Nickel, he had his one year. And then Caleb Love, obviously, started alongside R.J. Davis for three years. And, you know, you had your... It was an interesting dynamic. Obviously, both of those guys are talented players and talented scorers. But it's kind of like, you know, they kind of needed to exist independently of each other. Like, it's almost like you had more than one team out there when both of those guys were kind of out there, like, you know, Caleb Love was playing his own game and RJ was playing his own game. And when they're converting shots, obviously that, you know, that works really well. So it's no, not to those guys at all, but it's just a matter of like the way that they were being used. I don't know that based on the evidence we have, they would have been used any differently, you know, had they chose to stay now. what I will say is this, um, a guy like a Tyler nickel, you know, he's been proven like he's he's probably going to matter a good bit on a uh, Saturday because he's averaging. What was it? It's like 41 percent from three. He's played 23 games. He scored double digits in 12 of the 23 games. So yeah. he's going to matter on Saturday. So obviously those guys were quality players. I just don't think they necessarily fit what Hubert Davis was trying to do. Um, And then one point I'm not trying to, you know, hog this obviously too much, but even just something as like if you look at Elliot Cadeau, like. He's probably not here if Caleb o stays because, yes, he was signed on, but he reclassed to come a year early. So you wouldn't even have had – you wouldn't have a true point guard on this team. <laughs> like, you wouldn't have really – you know, obviously – because the way this team functions right now, R.J. Davis is, like, effectively, like, the backup point guard because Cadeau starts at point, but when he's out, R.J. Davis is the point guard. So Seth is really, like, your backup, like, guard, if that makes sense. Like, he's your – He's kind of a two and a three, kind of a cross between the two and a three. So I don't know. I think a lot of the changes just kind of were, uh, you know, necessary for both parties involved, for the players that left and they're putting up better numbers, like Caleb Love's having a great year. And then also for, obviously, uh, for Hubert Davis and the type of team that he wants to run. So, uh, yeah, I think it would be very similar had a lot of those guys stayed. And so I think the fact that they did overhaul the roster, it, it just made sense for really everybody involved. Adam, you got anything you want to add? Oh, I could go a long time, Joey. Um,
4: I'll try to – here, just, you know, give me the time. Give me the Sandman. Sweep me off the stage <laughs> if you need to. Um, I mean, I think this is a fascinating question that, that yeah, sure. John Bowman came up with. Um, I hadn't even thought about it. I, I – I, Personally, I hope we can talk to Tyler Nickel after the game Saturday. I, I would I would love to talk to him. T-Nick you just, just want to hear guy. his
1: really, really deep voice so he can talk to you in the tape recorder and you can feel like you've you've got some extra extra man in you, right?
4: I about fell out of my chair when I heard him talk for the first time. It was simply amazing. I mean, it was wild. Uh, I thought I was going to have to put Ross Martin in a seatbelt uh, when Tyler Nickel opened up his mouth and – uh, started laying it down like Barry White or James Earl Jones. Um, you know, I mean, this Caleb Love is going to be the Pac-12 Player of the Year, probably. Uh, R.J. Davis, I would say, is the front runner for ACC Player of the Year, probably. Mm-hmm. You know, these are interesting dynamics at work here. I, for whatever reason, after covering this team, make when they made that run to the national championship game in 2022. I for better or worse just became the most the biggest believer in Caleb Love. I saw him beat UCLA. You know, I saw what he did against Duke in the Final 4. Like I just as many times as I saw him go 4 for 14 or 2 for 12 last season, I still thought this guy's going to get hot, you know, like I but with that said, I think that it just for UNC's purposes, they just had to to they needed a fresh start. They needed – they just needed it. It had to happen. And I think as Jeremiah rolled off the numbers and as you rolled off the numbers, Joey, I think beyond that, the chemistry just mm-hmm. needed to be – to hit the reset button. Um, and what they got with Harrison Ingram, and I know Cormac has been sort of a whipping boy for good reason in some cases, but what they got with Cormac, those two guys are the leaders of this team. The Absolutely. Leaders of the team yeah. Are not Armando Baycott and RJ Davis, although they serve leadership roles. The voices of this UNC basketball team are Cormac Ryan, a two time transfer, and Harrison Ingram, who was playing at Stanford last year. It's just that's just how it is. Um, Armando, it just is not the guy to sort of like get in guys' faces and get into them. Adam, and, I think
1: there's, I'm sorry to step on you, but I think, I think something you were, you kind of touched on briefly, I think there's something also to be said when you mentioned. The attitudes of of Ingram and Ryan, I think there's something also to be said for players who have not experienced success, right? And I think that might be kind of a, a driving force as, as to why those two guys are able to rally the troops, having only been here for a few months.
4: Yeah, I mean, I, I was we were talking about it. I think with with the Duke game and how much I you just knew, Harrison Ingram wanted to play on that stage. Yeah. He wanted it. He wanted that moment. That's one of the reasons he transferred here to play in a yep. game like the Duke game, to get to an NCAA tournament, and just to, to on the transfer topic, not to crap on Dontre Stiles. I think I think he's a nice player, but you know I think some of those numbers, a lot of those numbers he's putting up are somewhat hollow. That's a really bad Georgetown.
1: That's a bad bad team. Yes,
4: uh, I think they're one in twelve in the Big East, and, um, and
1: well, and and the, their losses they've got some really like just skull dragging losses if you look at their. If you look at their schedule, it's, it's not been pretty for those guys.
4: I think Jalen Withers is a good player. I, I, I personally think he should be getting more minutes. I thought that when UNC was in that 10 game winning streak and he was really coming, I mean, he had a great game against Louisville. He had some other really nice games. We, we were talking to him after these games because he was playing well after BC, we talked to him and then he goes six games without, not, without making a shot because he really wasn't playing that much. And, so what I'm trying to say is with Dontrez, with Puff, you know, where would that – would Jalen Withers be ahead of them? I don't know if Jalen Withers would have come if those guys stepped right. You know what I mean? Right. Like, so it's sort of a chicken and the egg. Um, but I, I think – I do think that if they hadn't flipped the roster, there would have been times this year where you would have had – what was it they shot against Pitt last year? Like five for 31 from three where yeah. people just wanted to pull the rest of their hair out. Yes. And you would just be like, "Why are we doing this again?" I think Hubert Davis got to a point in that stab that said, "We're not going to do this again," yeah. and that's why you saw happen what happened. Yep.
1: Yeah, I, I think there's a there's a lot to be said also for for a player like Withers, and this is based on nothing but just watching him and, and a gut feel. I think Withers is a is a flow of the game guy. Um, I, I think he's he's his most effective when he gets extended minutes for, for between four and eight clip minutes a clip rather than two minutes here go sit three minutes there go six he's a he's such a good cutter and that's from hubert davis's words he's such a good cutter that it takes a minute for him to realize what the defense has given him uh, i'm with you adam i would like to see withers get a little bit more time uh, and even against uh, syracuse you know while he was in he did give him four points uh, and a couple of rebounds i believe don't don't quote me on the rebound side evan is there anything else that you see in this um in this kind of ex-girlfriend conversation that we're, we're looking at right now with, with guys that left and the guys that came in?
0: Yeah, I think the interesting thing when you dive into transfers as a whole, uh, I'm going to go here really quick before talking about one guy, um, is a lot of it is more of fit than how good the individual player is sometimes. Um, I know a lot of people want to do all these transfer rankings, and when you look back at some of the transfer rankings, you're like, how is this guy rated really highly? Give you an example, Pete Nance last year. I mean, that was a guy who came in and was pretty much a consensus top five, top 10 transfer guy in the portal and obviously did not pan out. And that was more, I think, fit is what you're kind of seeing because Pete Nance has played in the NBA. Uh, Brady Manick, when he committed to UNC, was not this top 10 consensus transfer guy. And obviously everyone knows how it turned out for him and he has not played in the NBA. So it kind of just gets to the point of when you want to look at transfers, a lot of it is more fit than the individual talent. And when I look at the guys who left UNC last year, I look at Caleb Love. I think that's a great fit for him out in Arizona with Tommy Lloyd. I think that's a good personality he needs to be around. I just think that's a coach that can kind of work against what he brings to the table. And I think that's why you're seeing the year that Caleb Love's having. I mean, I think there's a legitimate chance as crazy as this might sound, that Caleb Love and RJ Davis could be potentially competing for the same first team All-American spot, which I think would be fascinating.
1: That's absolutely insane. Yes.
0: Um you look at Dontres Styles, you guys kind of already mentioned this. I don't know if he would fit with this team's roster because if he stays, does Harrison Ingram come? I mean, that that'd be an interesting argument to have because maybe because I don't think Dontres would expect in his third year to come off the bench. Um, And I really think the only guy that UNC lost to the portal that maybe they wish they did have this year in terms of depth is I could potentially see a spot for DeMarco Dunn as your eighth, ninth guy, instead of maybe having Pax and Wojcik be that guy. I think for the, for the most part, everyone can kind of agree that Pax and Wojcik has been somewhat of a miss in the portal. Uh, Not to the point where I think it's, it alters the ceiling of this year's team, but I mean, if you had told me Pax and Logic on February 15th had less three-pointers made than Jalen Washington and Elliott Cadeau, I would say that probably was not a successful portal addition. Um, so I think, I think DeMarco is maybe the only one, but again, like Jeremiah had brought up, I mean, you're talking about a guy who was a two-year player at UNC, had struggled to get consistent minutes, was a consensus mid-high four-star guy coming out of college or coming out of high school. And I'm sure he wanted to to get in a new place where he could potentially start. And he's had that opportunity at Penn State. He, he's started a couple games. Um, so I think as a whole, when you just look back on the overhaul that was done this offseason, I think it was necessary. Uh, I think for the most part, you can probably say they hit on pretty much all the transfers they brought in for the most part. I think maybe Paxson's a miss. And I don't really... I mean, James Okonkwo is an interesting transfer because I'm sure if the whole situation with Huggins doesn't go down, I'm sure... James Akonko is probably still at West Virginia. Um, But
1: Evan, Evan, I'd challenge you a little bit on on the Paxton Wojcik thing. It's not that I'm caping up for him as a player as much as – and the only reason I'm saying this, I'm going to do a little show crossover here. Uh, When he transferred in, one of the things that we talked about with Shirell on Coast to Coast was that he wasn't going to come in and start. He was going to come in and be an energy guy and potentially help stretch the floor if they needed a three-point shooter. So to your point about him not making a ton of threes, I think that's spot on. But I don't know. Yeah. Even then, I don't I don't think anybody would have thought him to come in and be like this, you know, this impact guy. Uh, but I, th- I hear what you're I hear what you're saying. And I think you're you're going in the right direction there. I just I, I would I would pump the brakes a little bit and saying Paxson isn't necessarily a, a, a hit just because maybe the expectations for him are different. But, Adam, you had something you want to add?
4: I just I just think about this all the time with Caleb Love. But also we're talking about Paxson Wojcik. He hit Carolina's first three-pointer this season. <laughs> Evan and I have talked about it a lot, uh, um, crunching the numbers. Like, the first two offensive possessions of this basketball season were a Pax and Wojcik feed to Armando Baycott for a dunk and a Pax and Wojcik three. And you're like, oh, yeah, they're off and running against Radford. Uh, I only think he's hit – what has he hit, two more since then? Is that right? That's okay. a deep – cut. well, he, he, the thing is, though,
1: I feel like the ones that he's hit have been incredibly timely. Go back to the one that he hit against Clemson absolutely. that that absolutely would have totally changed the game had that bucket not gone. Um, it was the guys, go ahead three. Yes, uh, he, it was. He made the
4: shot. They never trailed the rest of yep. the game, and that's. Um, um,
1: I think that matters.
4: Well, yeah, it, it absolutely does. Uh, but the only the only thing I was going to say was for whatever reason I think about this with Caleb a lot, um, and I I watch a ton of Pac twelve basketball. For whatever reason, I've always liked the Pac ten, the Pac twelve. I've Always thought. I hate that the league is breaking up. I always thought it was cool, you know, like maybe because it's a coast away for a little uh, hayseed like myself. I don't know. You sound but, like a
1: guy that doesn't sleep a lot and loves in and out but go ahead.
4: I just, you know, <laughs> I, I don't know. I've always thought the Pac-12 was cool. You know, I, I just always have. Uh, go back to the O'Bannon brothers and beyond, you know. Ooh, but, deep cut. Yeah. I like it. But um, anyway, what would have happened? We wouldn't be having this discussion at all, or in Caleb's respect, what would have happened if he had gone to Michigan? The dude had committed to go to Michigan. They are last in the Big Ten. You I mean, would heard, you like, would
1: have heard a thing about him,
4: right? Ohio State is better than Michigan yeah. in terms of their record. I'm, I'm pretty sure uh, Michigan's last in the dang league. They like just fired their coach. they're like eight and seventeen overall. And so you would have these people uh, who hate Caleb. Um, you know, the UNC, the continued UC fan base that you know wanted him gone. And I understand that. But they would sort of be laughing at, oh, look at Cable of Love. Look at this terrible – you know, he, he – I just – it really worked out for him that the transfer to Michigan didn't work out because I think he would just be in such a bad situation. I think he'd be having such a, a rough year. He'd probably be shooting all the time uh, on a bad team. And I think it would be ugly. So, anyway, that's I just think about that all the time. I'm like, good God, that guy could have been at Michigan. To Imagine him point. with Joan Howard. In terms yeah, of play style personalities. That is
1: absolutely um tabloid television. And <laughs> to your point, you're you're dead on Adam. They have won three games in the Big Ten this year. That is uh, a struggling, struggling team if, if if you've seen anything. Um, you know, we're talking about like <laughs> I made the ex girlfriend analogy a while ago. Um one of the frustrating things when you think about ex girlfriends, a lot of times they steal your shirts. When they steal your shirts, you can go to Johnny T shirt and get a new one and replace it. <laughs> See, see what okay. I'm doing there, guys? Johnny T-Shirt, sponsors of this here show and most Inside Carolina content. We are big fans of theirs. We love what they bring to the table. We love that they are willing to uh, step up and support these, uh, these Carolina fans that populate IC subscriber base. Uh, they love uh, Carolina as much as y'all do, and we want y'all to love them as much as we love them. Uh, Johnny T-shirt right there on East Franklin Street. You can use your premium subscriber discount. You can find on the message boards. If you're not a premium subscriber, I've got all sorts of side eye for you. And Johnny T-shirt has as much selection as I have side eye for you right now. Hit them up, Johnny T-shirt right there on East Franklin Street. If you're going to be in the game in town for the game on Saturday against Virginia Tech, which I know a lot of people are, those game those tickets right now are going for like 200 a pop on uh, on game time. Yeah, for a Saturday afternoon game, so uh, it's going to be crowded. If you're coming to town run into Johnny T-shirt, tell them we said what's up, ask them for the Evan Rogers discount, and uh, and, and after they stop staring at you like you have a third head, then you can just use your 10% off the top from inside Carolina. Uh, You'll be glad they did. Uh, If you're listening to us via podcast right now, the National guys will run some ads. We'll be right back, talk a little bit more about what's coming up for the Tar Heels uh, and do a little ACC reset before we get out of here on On the Beat.
2: Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. I'm Joey Powell. As
1: always, the guys that are here Jeremy, uh, Jeremy, Jeremy, I'm going to call you whatever. Jeremiah Holloway, Adam Smith, and Evan Rogers are here. I told you, man, I'm, I'm, just, a, I'm, I'm just holding the clipboard tonight. Um, this is on the beat. These guys are the ones that cover the team and give you all the content on Inside Carolina that you're used to seeing and that you have developed an appetite for. Boys, we've talked about a lot of things so far. Before we get to some listener questions, uh, let's look at Georgia Tech. Um, Georgia Tech. See, I'm struggling, man. It's late. Um, it, it was it, a Virginia professional Tech, ad read, though, Joey. It was. That's that's the that's young
4: me, how it was done. I that's mean. why
1: they paid me the medium bucks. Um, if you look towards, uh, if you look towards Virginia Tech coming to town from from Blacksburg, aside from what you what you're expecting to see from one Tyler Nickel. Uh, gentlemen, tell me what you think, uh, they're going to, to bring to the Tar Heels on Saturday. Jeremiah, I'll come to you first since i butchered your name a second ago. <laughs>
3: no, that's all good. Uh, it's happened before, uh, now, um, I think what Virginia Tech brings to the table, first of all, um, I'm, I'm just kind of, you know, in my review and obviously, you know, seeing him a little bit this year. It's so funny that, uh, Hunter Couture is, uh, is still there. You know what I mean? Like that dude has genuinely been there, uh, forever, but not Virginia – you know, it's it's so funny because, like, they're a solid team. Like, if you look at just, like, their overall resume this year. So, they beat Clemson – a ranked Clemson team, like, when they were on their slide, if everybody remembers the slide that Clemson kind of had before they ended up, you know, beating UNC and and, and things like that. It's um, called
1: January. It's January. It happens every year in Clemson. Absolutely. Go
3: ahead. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so, they have a, a win against Clemson during that period – They also have an early, a very early win against Ohio, uh, Iowa State, Uh, you know, so that's probably going to age pretty well for them later. But they also have a 34 point loss to FAU. Right. They have a a 10 point loss to Duke. That's not bad. And they have an early loss to South Carolina, who ended up, uh, you know, kind of doing uh, what they uh, what they have been doing for, uh, you know, for the majority, I guess, at this point of this season. Uh, But an early two point loss. So. The point of all of that being, you know, this is not the type of this is not like a, uh, you know, a, a tune up game for UNC or like a, a, you know, a pickup game for UNC. This isn't one where you look at it and it's like, OK, they've lost three out of five, but they got Virginia Tech. So maybe nah, This isn't that type of game for them, because uh, Virginia Tech, they're a solid defensive team among ACC teams. I was looking at it earlier. If you t- if you just looked at points per game, they're fifth as far as points per game allowed. So solid defensive team, you know, uh, not, not, you know, the juggernaut that Virginia is obviously, but, you know, solid. And they also have some shooters, Uh, you know, they got some guys that can really fill it up from deep. Uh, I think the thing that works for UNC is that is something that they've seen. Like they have seen some teams that, you know, have a couple guys that can fill it up. And for the most part, for the most part, UNC has been winning those games. So um, obviously, Syracuse shot 63% from the field. I don't know that Virginia takes you 63% from the field. Um, but one thing you also have to consider, UNC has been dominated at home. Like obviously lost to Clemson at home. And that was, you know, somewhat of a post-Duke hangover to me. Um, I didn't expect them to lose that game and they should not have lost that game. But I think that's a lot of what that was. Um, but this team has been on the road a long time. And I think they need to, uh, you know, certainly uh, – get this one at home especially because they have the the midweek bye and I don't mean to jump ahead too much but I was I was kind of looking at it UNC does need to go ahead and just get this one to get to 12 and 3 in the league because if you look at the other two teams behind them you have Duke and UVA so Duke UNC is 11 and 3 Duke is 10 and 3 UVA is 10 and 4 so in the time between now and next Saturday if UNC wins this game they'd be 10 and 3 and they would need to be because Duke has two games in between there not gimme's it's at fsu and at miami teams they're better than but you know obviously road games against teams that gave unc a bit of a fight so if duke won both of those games they'd also be 12 and three unc has a tiebreaker over duke virginia in that same stretch has wake and at virginia tech they have wake and virginia tech in a two-day span so they have the saturday monday if they won both of those games they would actually be 12 and four so if unc ends up going if unc loses on saturday and they go 11 and four, they would actually be behind Duke at 12 and three, and they would be behind a 12 and four Virginia team. So this game has a lot of implications as a lot of these games do down the stretch, uh, you know, for UNC and Virginia Tech's not the easiest team to face, but it's one that considering they're at home and considering that they need a win, it was one that I think you would probably expect uh, UNC to come out and, and win. And also, you know, I would say play pretty well.
1: Uh, the other guys I want to ask you the same thing what do you think North Carolina is getting from a Virginia Tech team and again you know you can you can see things from all of the the middle of the pack ACC teams. you can see things that that you can like from a lot of those squads Uh, I would ask you um, Evan I'll come to you next what do you expect about about Virginia Tech this Saturday in, in Chapel Hill
0: yeah I think Jeremiah hit on it their ability to shoot I mean you've got Sean Petula and Hunter Couture starting who are really good shooters and then obviously Tyler Nickel. I think the interesting thing for UNC is gonna be a lot of the talk, you know, throughout the whole year has been the short backcourt that UNC has with Cadeau and, and RJ Davis. And Virginia Tech is actually a, a fairly decent matchup defensively for UNC. I mean Padula is listed six one. He's probably six foot. Uh Kator is not a tall guy. I think he's six three. Uh, M.J. Collins, who their third guard is, I think is 6'4", 6'3". I mean, these are not, you know, your your Florida states of the world or you kind of saw Judah Mintz and J.J. Starling kind of using their size and athleticism advantage the other night. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I think this team, you know, in, in order for Virginia Tech to come in and win, it's going to be a product of either or probably Padula or Kator going off, and, and they're both capable of doing it. And I think Adam that's kind of the big thing for Virginia Tech.
1: Adam, anything you want to pick pick off the bones? I know you're you're typically a good cleanup hitter in these senses. So, uh so what do you expect to see from the same question from Virginia Tech as they uh
4: as they stroll into to the Dean Dome? I do like to pick the bones too, Joey. Uh I like some good flavor. Um also the chat tonight, uh the live chat electric as always. I feel like there's been some people making some good points over there. I was scrolling through as the guys were talking Clint Moses making good points, Garrett Chapman, my man, Lewis Bass, M Barnes night 9, 915, Sean Crowley always some good points being made over there. Um I would say about Virginia Tech, you know what the, Virginia Tech will come to Chapel Hill. Do you know how many road wins they have this season? They have one. They have one all of one road game, true road game. Wow. That was at NC State actually. Um. So this is a team that that's that has not had the success that UNC has had on the road, and um, you know the Sean Padula dynamic is interesting because he's a fine player and he's capable of having some really nice games. Had a nice game against UNC in Blacksburg last year when when Armando didn't play and Carolina got beat up there uh, in the in the ACC opener um, day after the ACC football championship game. But there's something about Sean Padula. I don't know. I don't know if you guys have noticed it. He tends to piss people off. Like the opponents that Virginia Tech plays, you you see him. These the other guards love to go at him, and they love that. It, it's always something extra going on. You know, like didn't he if have something? Like,
1: didn't he have some some uh, some some dust up with with Duke when they played up there a couple of weeks ago?
4: Yeah, I, I, right. I don't know if it's his choir boy thing he's got going on, or if he's a big smack talker. But like, yeah. Yeah, there's always something a little extra. Um, but he, you know, he's among the ACC leaders in assists. But also, if you look at his turnover numbers, he, I think he has 84. I looked at it earlier. I think he has 84 turnovers on the season. Um, I remember seeing a stat. They lost to Notre Dame recently, Virginia Tech did, which is, you know, That's not a bad game loss. you want to lose. Yeah, yeah and he, I think he had six turnovers in that game. Um, so, you know, yeah, I mean, Couture, as you know, as we all know, can shoot the lights out of it. Uh, the 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 last time I covered uh, for work a non-UNC basketball game, I covered the Virginia Tech Duke ACC championship game in Brooklyn, when I was at the end of the newspaper run, when Couture went for thirty one, um, and uh, thought I was going to be writing a Duke story that night for for you know my readership, ended up being a Hunter Couture. Goes crazy, you know, in Brooklyn uh, and denies Coach K an ACC championship. It was a hell of a game. But, um, but yeah, I mean, Couture can shoot it. You know, Lynn Kidd's not a bad player. Mm-hmm. Um, but, I mean, this is a game Carolina should win. This is a game Carolina needs to win. It's a, it's a proverbial get-right game. They need to win this game. You know, they don't need to be messing around. They need to win this game, get into that break, and, and heal up.
1: Yeah, they'll um they'll have the the they'll have the the crowd behind them. If if nothing else, you have seen with the Saturday games this year that uh, the home folks in Carolina Blue have absolutely brought their their yelling voices uh, for home games on a Saturday. Uh, and and I want to thank Jeremiah for for going through the ACC stats a second ago. That uh, you yeah, that half game lead against Duke um looms large when you're getting ready to have a week off. And, and like you said, Jeremiah, it does mean something when they're going on the road. And of course, the Tar Heels do have games left against both Virginia, uh, Duke, the return match at home against Miami, uh, NC State, uh, and then what am I missing? I'm missing another one. Um, either way, no, that's that's Notre that's- Dame. Dame, Notre, Notre Dame, Notre Dame. That's right. Which is not going to, you know, or earlier this year when we were worrying about the net um, that gave a lot of people some heartburn. I don't think that's going to be this the sense anymore because I I do think even with the slide, this team is is squarely going to be a, a top-four seed somewhere. And, and gosh knows, if they do decide to, to straighten some things back up and start you know, getting right, to, to use your your phrase from a second ago, Adam, uh, I do think that there is still a chance they could end up on a one-line. There's a lot of basketball left to play, guys, and I think that's something that um, that folks need to, to pay, pay, pay attention to. The committee usually, and I don't know how things are going to go now because God knows Lunardi's got his platform and he's shouting from the rooftops how terrible the ACC is. But I still think if if the if the winner of the ACC tournament is either North Carolina or Duke, I think there's a chance that one of those could sneak into the one line. But, you know, a lot of basketball left to play. A lot of other things have to happen. Um, So just, you know, hang tight and see see what's what. Boys, you have anything you want to throw out to our folks before we start answering some questions? I did get a couple that I want to get before we get out of here.
4: Don't forget who the vice chair of the NCAA tournament selection committee is this season. One Bubba Cunningham.
1: One Mr. Cunningham. Yes. Uh, and, and so hopefully he will, uh, he will have, um, better luck with them than another, uh, another athletic director had on the CFP committee recently. Uh, okay. So questions, uh, and I will, I will pepper you guys with them. Uh, first one from Thomas Yancey with more zone defense being utilized against the heels. Do you think Washington would have been a better option in the middle of
3: the zone? Um jeremiah i'll come to you with that one glad to take that one for sure i think that's actually a solid idea like if you wanted to put washington toward that top of the key he's actually shown that he's you know a pretty solid you know jump shooter you know as a big mm-hmm. man so you could you know just kind of let him kind of get right there but what i will say though they had elliot Cadeau there a lot uh against syracuse like they actually would put elliot Cadeau near you know kind of top of the key obviously our that perception was kind of interesting, but it was around top of the key around the elbow. And they actually had some pretty good looks with him uh, getting to Armando Baycott in the paint. I wish they would have probably did that more. I thought they probably could have got Armando more touches in that situation. But um, I think, I think Jalen Washington would be a good option if you just wanted to make him a threat um, you know, as a jump shooter. He doesn't take a ton of them in a given game, so it might be a rhythm thing as well. But um I, I could see that being a good option and I think the in game adjustment to put Elliot there actually was was pretty smart. Um it almost worked for him as far as a win, but um, I love I that think, I think it's a good option.
1: I love that it. it was sexy and I think, you know, if if Elliot hadn't uh, he pushed a couple of uh, of the looks that he had right around the ACC logo. If he hits a couple of those, it absolutely changes the game, I believe. But, uh, Adam, I've got a follow-up for you also from Thomas Yancey. Uh, in your opinion, what is keeping Washington from getting more minutes? I know his defense on fives is shaky.
4: I think he needs more minutes. Um, I think Jalen Washington needs more minutes. I think Jalen Withers needs more minutes. I think Seth Trimble needs more minutes. Um, just to, to to be able to max out what I think this team is capable of, and that's making a DPNCA tournament run. Um, you know, there's going to be moments where they need everyone. Um, but with Jalen Washington specifically, I think that's an interesting idea about putting him at the soft spot of the zone. Um, Pete Nance had a very big scoring game at Syracuse last year because he pa- caught the ball at the free-throw line, and he could either shoot a free-throw line jumper – or take a dribble and shoot a little floater. I mean, he had he had like he was tw- over twenty points. Um, and the other night at Syracuse, what Washington hit a corner three off an inbounds, I believe. I think he had five points. Um, so
1: they they left him I wide had, open, and he absolutely canned one from the ring from the wing. your spot yeah. on.
4: And then you know they don't play him the rest of the second half or whatever whatever it was. Armando's knee. You know, we're talking to Armando after the game. Go watch the video. I think it's like. 7,000 people have watched it on YouTube. Armando's like, yeah, I hurt my knee tightened up somehow. So he's limping through the second half, and Jalen Washington's not in the game. But um, I have been, and Jeremiah and Evan and I have sort of looked at each other a couple times. There have been some moments in recent games, FSU, Syracuse, maybe BC. There was another one where Jalen Washington has had these monster dunks in traffic Mm -hmm. where it's been like, where did that come from? But to what Thomas is saying, yeah, I mean – Jalen does have these times where he just looks so weak on defense and and you're reminded of the long road he has had to travel just to get into this sort of shape. I mean, it's been such all the knee injuries and the surgeries. So, but I think, you know, I think at a certain point, you just, you just got to play him more and live with the fact that, you know, it might not be the prettiest. Um, Maybe you got to play him more and make sure he doesn't get in the transfer portal. You know, I, I have no, we have no intel. Oh, on come now.
1: on now! Don't be don't be throwing grenades into the I, chat like that, sir.
4: But you know what I mean. Like, I mean, it's a valid I, I think, point. I, I think I don't know. I, I think yeah, uh, Hubert Davis's staff certainly knows a little bit more about college basketball than I do. But um, I think you got to just get them out there because you're looking at this. This is you're you're looking at this as a 40 game season. You know, yeah. not a 33 game season. You're looking at this uh, uh the full you know across across the board and. Um, I just think he's deserving of more, and sure, there are going to be some mistakes. It's not going to be pretty, but you know, if you're putting less miles on Armando or Harrison Ingram, I think that's also a good thing. Um, but that's just my two cents.
1: I um, I actually, I, I think you make a great point there with with Withers, and you know, the fact I think one of the struggles that he has, and if you talk to folks who watch a lot of basketball, I think one of the things that not Withers uh, Washington struggles with is his lateral quickness. I think he's a great rim protector, and he's got good shot blocking instincts. Um, but if you notice when he's playing against smaller guys that are that are able to kind of move and, and kind of force him to play laterally, he he gets beat really bad. And um, that that's something that was not going to work for him against Syracuse uh, because they, you know, Malik Brown was was stepping outside the, the three point line and getting shots and putting the ball on the floor a couple times. Uh, I, I agree with you, Adam. Great points about about you know how. How those guys can get some more minutes. Uh, Evan, I got a question for you, sir, uh, from the chat from earlier. Um, This is a hypothetical, but uh, our guy, M. Barnes, uh, says, Did this team struggle become more prominent when Hubert said he never told Mondo that this was RJ's team? So put that in a little context. Um, You know, there was this big to do made after the Georgia Tech game about, you know, uh, Hubert found out that our Mondo felt like he was trying to defer to RJ Davis, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and if you'll remember all of, or all over the inside Carolina message boards and social media, what everybody was like, well, you know, why isn't Armando more involved? Let's get him more involved. Let's do more for Armando. Barnes makes a great point here that the, um, yeah, the offense has taken a little bit of a, of a, a tank uh, from an efficiency standpoint since Armando's point total came up. So I want to ask you Evan Rogers what do you think about said question? I would say it's more just
0: coincidence in terms of that information being out and kind of this lull happening. Um, I would say the the reason they're struggling is kind of what I hit on earlier. It's their defense is, has taken quite a, a noticeable drop the last couple of games. Um, I can't think of many times, especially in these last couple of games, like in the Syracuse game or the Miami game, even the Clemson game or Duke game, where I thought Armando was forcing the action offensively for himself inside. I think for the most part, he is still played within his role, even though he is getting more shots than than what he was probably three weeks ago. And I still think a guy like RJ Davis is, is obviously still putting up points. And I still think for the most part, he is kind of playing within the offense uh, and getting the same shots that he was getting at the beginning of the year. So, I mean, yeah, I think it's more of a, a timing coincidence that that statement is said, or that conversation is said, and they end up having a lull. But I think that more has to do with the team's overall defensive play dropping, uh, especially these last three games compared to, you know, Armando Baycott being a, sh- a focus of the offense. Cause I still don't think he's, he's one a, I mean, I think that's clearly still RJ uh, even though he has struggled kind of the start, a couple of these games, you can tell when it gets into crunch time mode or, even when they're trying to man these comebacks that they've had to do in the second half, a a lot of the times it's with RJ Davis, you know, hitting threes or, or getting to the free throw line or something like that.
1: Adam, I want to ask you, do you remember the old Dean Smith quote about what's the best thing about freshmen?
4: They get, they become sophomores. Is that it?
1: I think we're seeing uh intern, Evan become a, become a veteran here right in front of our eyes. He's, he's no longer an intern. He's He's a full on like just veteran contributor scholarship player right now. And it's, it's, it's fun
4: to see. He um, is the best. He is our guy. We're gonna need, in my opinion, we're gonna need did to. You up just, the NIL did you just money.
1: Corey Alexander him?
4: <laughs> we're gonna need to up the NIL money for the yeah. uh, for yeah. uh, Evan's senior year coming up. Um, I would love if we could put together a package to keep him well, on I, after his senior year. Um, hold that
1: thought. I have an idea how we can do that. If you go to Congruity HR forward slash Tar Heels, they'll tell you how you can save some money on running your medium and small business and you can take that money contribute it to the evan rogers nil collective uh to get evan to stick around for his senior year now that's that's next level real talk um the folks over at congruity are absolutely great uh they you know they started you know looking outside of the state of north carolina but they focused on the state of north carolina and they want local businesses in this state to do really well they want small and medium sized businesses to be able to grow and thrive and make a strong state economy. And you can do that. Uh, you can help them do that. And you can do that with your business by going to congruityhr forward slash Tar Heels. What they'll do, go to that link. They'll give you a free assessment of your business and tell you how they can save you some money, how they can help you optimize, get rid of some of the, the pressured things that are distracting you and keeping you from focusing on, uh, on growth and scalability. They'll help you with your, uh, your HR your admin, your benefits, all the kind of stuff that really kind of sucks the life out of you as a small and medium-sized business owner. Go to Congruity HR. Let them help you out. We appreciate their support of this here show. Uh, They're great folks. Uh, We're very, very grateful for them and their contributions to Inside Carolina, just like I am grateful to Jeremiah Holloway and Evan Rogers and Adam Smith for their contributions to this here on The Beat Show tonight. Um, Appreciate you guys Appreciate everybody in the chat. The folks that have been with us, we've had about a a, a buck 50 hanging around tonight. And, you know, for me as a substitute teacher, I'm grateful for that. They didn't, they didn't walk in and see the guest preacher and immediately turn back and go get in their car out in the parking lot. Right. Um, I'm I'm grateful for y'all for bringing all the insight tonight. Uh, Shout out to everybody who's been a part of the show. We will catch you next time. Uh, And and shout out to John Bauman for producing. We will talk to all of you sometime very soon. Adam, Jeremiah, Evan, we'll all have the content after the Virginia Tech game on Saturday. You can check them out on InsideCarolina.com. But until the next time, we will talk to you soon. This has been On the Beat on InsideCarolina.com.
2: Greetings, Fantasy Warriors. I'm Heath Cummings, your guide to fantasy dominance on FFT Dynasty. Join me this offseason where mock drafts become epic showdowns and every pick shapes your legacy. If, If I was Adam with the team that he's built, Will Levis makes so much more sense. And that's not all. We're peeling back the curtain on the future with our exclusive 2024 NFL Draft Prospect Profiles. Uncover hidden gems that'll elevate your roster to legendary status. Huka Nakua. After Cooper Cup, we really have no idea who's going to get the targets. Keaton Mitchell of East Carolina. Explosive speed is ridiculous. This isn't just a podcast. It's a playbook for champions. Subscribe to FFT Dynasty now and together we'll conquer the fantasy football frontier. Your dynasty journey starts here.